0: Welcome to the Cornell Tech at Bloomberg podcast, in which we bring you conversations we've had during our monthly speaker series held at Bloomberg's global headquarters in New York City. Cornell Tech at Bloomberg brings together students from Cornell Tech, Bloomberg employees and members of New York's technology community, all to hear from entrepreneurs, investors and thought leaders, luminaries from the global technology sector. Over the past decade, consumer access to transportation has become digital, mobile, and on-demand. Cars, cabs, bicycles, and scooters can all be booked or rented simply by tapping on a screen. New York City-based Blade has taken this transportation of transit to new heights, literally, providing helicopter, private jet, and seaplane rides that anyone can easily book on their smartphone. I'm Scarlett Fu with Bloomberg News, and in this episode, we talk with Rob Wiesenthal, co-founder and CEO of Blade, about the crowdsourcing of transportation, his vision for the company, how Blade has expanded the market for private flights, and its plans for the future of short-distance aviation, making urban air mobility a mass-market product. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for the introduction, and thank you all for attending. I'm thrilled to welcome Rob Wiesenthal, founder and CEO of Blade, for this one's Cornell Tech at Bloomberg installment. Before we get started, how many people here use Uber? Or have used Uber? Okay, as expected. How many people have ridden on a helicopter before? Pretty good. All right, in this middle section. (laughs) Um, When I was reading up on Rob, I kept seeing Blade described as Uber for helicopters and it's a pretty lazy way to describe your business um, because Blade is a lot more than that but it's an effective way for people who are new to the idea so let's start at the beginning Um, we had heard that you were in the music industry um, before you started Blade how and when exactly did you come up with the idea for Blade set the scene for us
1: sure Um, I think it was about 2012 2013 I was working for Sony at the time, and I actually did music, movies, and television. And uh, uh, I was lucky enough that a a friend was going out to Long Island and invited me on a helicopter. And I was leaving from the east side on 34th Street. And we walk on the tarmac, we get in this helicopter, and I see this beautiful helicopter right next to us. And uh, this guy, one guy gets in this beautiful helicopter, and then we get in, the two of us, this other helicopter. The one next door. One, yeah. And then about 35 minutes, we both landed, and he got out of his alone, (laughs) and we got out of ours. And I'm saying, like, something is wrong here. (laughs) And when I was at Sony, aviation actually reported into me, and a helicopter would cost to fly 90 miles about $6,000. So I'm saying to myself, okay, there's six seats in this helicopter, the two of us in this one, there's one guy in the other one, we're going to the exact same place, this doesn't make any sense. So I did a little research, and uh, the average helicopter utilization was 1.7 out of six people. So the average helicopter, when it was in air, had 1.7 people inside of it. So I'm saying, well, what can you do to fill that up and basically aggregate that demand and get that price down? Because it just didn't make any sense. It also didn't make any sense. You know, my background was entertainment and brands and creating emotional connection with People watch movies or or you know, films or music, and you go to these the tarmac, and you see these jets and helicopters, and you see tail numbers, there's no brands. You go to what they call an FBO, these terminals, mm-hmm. and it, they have like elementary school lighting, and there's like a popcorn machine and old magazines, and no one knows. It just, I'm like, and these guys are like zillionaires. And I'm like, this is the experience they have? Like It made absolutely no sense to me. So when I was at Sony, we did a lot of um, works with works with patents tons. Sony has millions of patents. So I knew a little about patents. So I called up this great attorney and I said, look, got this idea. I said, is there, could I get a business process patent for crowdsourcing transportation over a mobile app? That was the idea. And he thought a lot about it and he said, no.
0: <laughs> Good idea though.
1: And so I said, all right, that's fine. But he said, you know, if if you you're, you have a better chance if you started a business around it. And so we thought about it and you know we saw that just you know we saw friction. You know a lot of people thought a, a lot of times people solve you know create companies where it's a pro, it's almost like they're in search of a problem to solve, right? This just felt like a big problem. Like there are people driving everywhere, long drives, like people driving 6 hours to go to these zillion dollar homes and everything. It just didn't make any sense. So, and they were taking buses and cars and, and then you had like this 0.111%, you know, 0.01 percent who were having, you know, their own helicopters and everything. So, we started the company for $50,000 and then we had this idea that if we aggregated enough people, we could create flights. So, what we would do is we take these, what I call the juicy times. 4 o'clock on a Friday, Mm -hmm. 4 to 7, and we'd take the economic risk on flights. But if someone wanted to go, say, at 11 in the morning or midnight or all that, they could create a flight, they'd go on the app, they could share it with their friends, but they would take the economic risk for it. So the idea was we knew all these people were chartering, but we made the bet saying, look, it's a 30-minute flight. It's kind of, you know, it's not that it's loud inside the helicopter, but you're not really don't have to talk to anybody. It's a beautiful view. If you just got one person to join that flight, that guy who would charter has a 20% discount. Right. So it was almost charter with option value. So it wasn't what most people thought, was, which was at the start, I'm going to go fly when I want and fly for the price of one seat, which at the time was like $545, I think. It really was built by people who had lots of wealth who enabled other people to come because they got that discount, right? Um, and then over time, we just started phasing out crowdsourcing and did more scheduled. But what we did it was pretty—it was pretty interesting. what We did—we didn't give you cash; we gave you credit. So if you chartered, a, if you crowdsourced a helicopter for $5,000 and you filled up all the seats, mm-hmm. you essentially got you know, $4,500 back, but in blade credits, which made you fly again. You didn't get cash ah, back. clever. And so we kept it kept this wheel and we almost gamified it. And it got really strange, because I remember one time, like we started doing this, and a guy crowdsourced a flight at four o'clock on a Friday, and we saw a couple seats sell, and then we said, let's put one up at 3.30, right? Just see
0: what and happens. so we're like an
1: airline, it's like Delta, we can do anything we want. <laughs> let's put a flight up at 3.30. And the guy called up, he's like, you're competing on my flight at 4 o'clock. People were booking it. They were getting angry. It was kind of amazing. Um, and uh, so we knew we were on to something. And then we started just scheduling more and more and kind of reducing the crowdsourcing. Not, by any, not intentionally. We just had a lot of scheduled flights.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, but what was interesting, Memorial Day weekend, our first summer, when I realized that we had to keep crowdsourcing was because of signals. It gave us signals of demand. So most people think if you're going to a leisure market on Friday you fly out and on Sunday you come back, right? So it's Memorial Day weekend and all of a sudden it's Saturday and then all these flights coming from like Southampton, East Hampton, all over the place, back to New York that people created made absolutely no sense to me. Like why are these people Did you have
0: back? helicopters on standby ready for this? Was yeah, this we had, yeah
1: and I'll tell you how we're acid light. We had access deals with all these mm-hmm. different operators. But it didn't make any sense to me. I said, why so I we called up these people so like just out of curiosity, why you're flying? It was the Rangers playoffs. Ah. Then in July it was a Saturday and we saw all these flights going to like New Hampshire and all these different places. Where are these people going? It was Saturday and of course as I said, they're all crowdsourcing these flights and they're starting to fill too. Mm -hmm. It was Camp Visiting Day. And now Camp (laughs) Visiting Day is a Blade product. We fly more people to camp on Camp Visiting Day, like parents and stuff. And and so crowdsourcing for us, it started, it was definitely the fuel that got the company going. And now we use it for signals. So we go into a new market we will open up the app and allow multiple destinations and we can see when people are creating their own flights and that becomes a signal for demand.
0: So it's a discovery vehicle, that's yeah. fascinating. Yeah, and,
1: and so, but you know, to your, your point about the company, one thing to understand about Blade is that we're asset light. We don't own any aircraft. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned kind of the Uber analogy. We're very different You're in a this- a platform. Yeah, and it, we're very different in the sense that I even hesitate with a sense of platform because we're not a marketplace. Um when you go into an Uber almost every car is different, every driver is different, their skills different, their attitudes different, their I mean their sense of direction is different. Like there isn't there's a lot of variability you'll so find. So the
0: experience is unique depending on the driver. Yes.
1: And because say in New York we work with we represent about 75 of the business, 75% of the biz- charter business of all the helicopter operators in New York, so and they're probably only like five or six. So you got these guys that have tons of helicopters, but there's a consistent training. So, I'm, I, so instead of saying hundreds of thousands of drivers and who just like download an app, put it on their window and start driving, we're dealing with FAA trained pilots who work for one organization that had their own le- level of safety and training. And then beyond that, we have our own head of safety and training um, because we're not operators but we want a consistent experience and what we found is it's very different for a pilot to fly a couple people who know each other than six people who don't know each other. Explain that. Um, helicopters have always been a B2B product. It's sort of like you know I always think about it like I, I get this, this now I'm just getting hard because I now have gray hair. The CEO with gray hair, <laughs> you know, in the in a suit, and he's shaking hands with the guy in the tarmac and handing over like the deal, and it's all guys and no girls, and you know, it, it, it just it, it's it was strange, it's like a real C-suite product,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? And so pilots were trained literally not to speak to their uh, their passengers, kind of look down, almost like a 1960s version of a, of a chauffeur. I mean, a really bizarre. And we have, our average age, you know, is probably in the early 30s as opposed to the high 50s for where it used to be. And people get in, you know, this company was built in the back back of Instagram. They got cameras, they got dogs, they're talking to the pilot. And like the pilots are just like, when they first started flying Blade, it was like, what is going on here? <laughs> Do okay? I mean, it's nuts. I mean, it's sort of like, in, I never forget, the first like flights, one of the first flights we were we were doing, people walking in the tarmac, and it became a real safety issue. You guys may not know this, but there's more accidents with helicopters on the tarmac than there are in the air. It's really dangerous. People getting too close to the- To the tail rotor, especially. Uh-huh. One, one word of advice, if you guys remember anything about this conversation today, never walk behind a helicopter, that's it. Don't walk behind a helicopter, not a good thing. But on the tarmac, they're like, <laughs> and you just, want, I mean, and you just see them just like wandering into the and you're like, oh my god! And this so this is not gonna work. No, and so you know, you kind of fall into things. And what we did was, it was really interesting. Um, we're known now for our lounge and terminal network. There's a moat around New York City. There's no way to fly into Manhattan now without going through or around a Blade lounge. And people go to us and say all the time and say, like, you know. Why do you do these? How did you come up with this idea of lounges? And the lounges are so fun because the average passenger comes 45 minutes before their flight, which means they're not late. You know what really happened was uh, on East 34th Street there was an FBO Atlantic Aviation, and during Hurricane Sandy, their entire FBO got destroyed. So they built a new one next door, and the old one was still there but just destroyed. So when I spoke to them, and I, and I had to go over to Atlantic with my hat in hand and say, look, we're starting the service, and like you know, like the 80th guy in the history of uh, New York to think that they can you know, create a helicopter company or a short-distance aviation company. And uh, they said, okay, fine, you start. And they didn't think it would go anywhere. And then all of a sudden, all these young people started coming. But what they didn't realize is that on a Friday in New York in the summer – there was like Henry Kravis and there's like Donna Karen and like people were like doing selfies and they're like drinking rose and they're like and they're like, This is not gonna work. You're not gonna be here anymore. There's a building over there <laughs> <laughs> that's bombed out after Sandy. You Load all your passengers over there. So what do we do? We call up ABC carpets and we say, Look, you know, we're starting this company, can you Give us free furniture. Maybe people see it and buy it, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden we created this lounge experience. But we created the lounge experience It was almost like an Animal House thing. We were kicked out, out of, <laughs> of the FBO, and they said, you know, wh- why did you start serving rosé? We became famous for like our sippy cups and everything. Uh, rosé sippy cups. Actually, rosé. Actually, do you have any of those, those cups? We'll show. We'll show them. So, uh, <laughs> we we and people said, why did you serve? Why were you serving rosé? We were actually scared the helicopters weren't going to come. And we figured if we serve Rose like yeah you know, maybe they'd be a little bit more, and also a lot You're of forgiving. people seventy five percent of the people who flew blade never flew a helicopter before, and they were scared, so it' calmed them down you know all these things seem like <laughs> genius marketing moves <laughs> right now, absolutely not the you know, not the case, it was really it just kind of you fell into it, but you know right now it's been a big transition because. You know, we're now, name the company's Blade Urban Mobility, and our focus is removing friction from people's lives and getting that price down.
0: Okay, so price down, I went on your website, and it's $195 from yeah. Manhattan to JFK. Correct. That's a flat fee.
1: No, no surge pricing.
0: No surge pricing, no add-ons, no upsell, Six no conditions. Okay. Where, where where did it start at when you launched in
1: 2014? That, that was $695.
0: $695 a person to
1: 195 uh, $695 and we no we couldn't we were too scared of taking the economic risk that was $695 and you got your own aircraft during certain hours and maybe we'd put other people in it it was a mess
0: so their conditions it and was our, it kind was kind of a horrible it was it was a mess how did you get it down consistently from 695 to 195 that's a really now?
1: good question um, so it, there's a there's a chicken and egg when it comes to aviation, which is um, without people without with a schedule, you a really robust schedule you don't get people, and without people, uh, you can't really afford to put a schedule on. Mm-hmm. So you really have to invest into a market and get that utilization up, uh, and so we realized that, you know, the problem we had to solve was it was easy to get people to the airport because they could land and we can put them in the car and that car would take them to your terminal. We first did a deal with Delta and we're now partnered with American. And American, by the time we first started with Delta, Delta would actually drive to the helicopter, Mm -hmm. bring you through a private security and bring you right in the plane. It was really terrific. But the returns were really complicated because your plane could be laid, you could some people go, you know, have bags, some people don't. Some people are going through customs because they're going internationally. So what it was all about was flying every twenty minutes. That was it. And said we're gonna fly every twenty minutes, there and back.
0: It's like so a bus no matter channel. when
1: you land. And we have a network of cars. So when you get out, you have a greeter. It takes you, and this is all included in the $195. They put you in a car and they take you to the helicopter, and then you go to the west side. And and right now, you know, we're very focused. You know, this is, you know, a lot of this is about city 2.0. I mean, this this city that we live in right now, you know, swells up to you know 10 million people on a day. You know, it's got four million residents, oh. and the streets are meant, you know from the 16, 1700s for, you know, horses and, you know, you see, you see these townhouses and brownstones that are up here, up steps because, you know, plumbing only went down. We have 170,000 Ubers and Lyft and ride-sharing cars in New York City clogging the streets. And the average speed has gone down from 11 miles an hour to 7.8 or something like that. So we see all this friction, it's like, look, we got three choices. You can make the streets wider, it's not going to happen. You can do what Elon Musk wants to do and go underground. We already got Subway, so that's not airing here. Or you're gonna go in the air. It's gonna happen in the air. Uh, and we're betting big on the air. And today it's helicopters and in the future it's gonna be what they call a VTOL, electric vertical takeoff or landing vehicles. And you know our view early on was that a VTOL was going to take a longer time. Mm-hmm. And that the only difference from what we're doing today and what people will be doing in the future is that the the aircraft that we're using are louder and require more maintenance. That's about it. And um, I think that what we've effectively done over the past four or five years is leverage the kind of early adopter, high net worth flyer.
0: The CEOs?
1: Yeah, well, CEOs or the people going to the Hamptons or whatever mm-hmm. to go essentially Fund lower cost products like this airport product. So not unlike, you know, we take a Tesla. Ten years ago, you saw them every now and then. And you are like, wow, they went they were $150,000 and they go 70 miles before they need a charge. Now they're $38,000. Those guys that bought Teslas for $150,000, you know, not that you're thanking them, but if you you feel free to thank them if you want, but they paved the way for that car to get lower, lower, become a lower cost. So. You know, and also it helps, you know, in terms of building the brand and the experience and giving you the know-how, and obviously those flowers are extremely demanding. Mm-hmm. But this is a drive down to get that cost down. And we're doing that by utilization, by frequency, and joint ventures. So the helicopter that you go in, or one of the helicopters you go in when you go to JFK, it's a joint venture with Bell. We have joint ventures, with Lockheed, and one of our largest investors is Airbus. And what they want to understand is urban air mobility, um, because most people don't think about it. But um,
0: they're not exactly customer-facing companies. I mean, they're, customer those are facing not customer-facing
1: companies. companies, and helicopters are really meant for the military, oil field services, forestry, electrical work, mm-hmm. um, EMS, or emergency, uh, you, know, you know, emergency uh, medical. And one day somebody said, "I got an idea. Like, let's take people. Let's throw leather seats in them." <laughs> and we're actually realizing like these helicopters are actually not meant to take people. I mean, they're they are because they got seats, but, they're but not they constructed got four point seat belts and they got these right. wild headphones and you can't see the pilot. I mean, it's just not meant for the use. So, you know, we've given Bell over 150 things to work on for conventional helicopters that have nothing to do with propulsion or aerodynamics that are just little things that we notice everything from the kind of dimensions of bags to in having physically challenged people get in a helicopter to how does a pilot actually lean back and tell you to put on the headphones and you know a four-point seatbelt that essentially unless you've raced Daytona there's no way you're ever putting a seatbelt on right and like and we have to move we have to it's called quick turns going mm-hmm. to JFK so we can't sit and give a 20-minute education of what it's, you know, how to be a passenger in a helicopter when we're doing it. So I think that's going to be a great, some great learnings for Sikorsky and for Bell and for Airbus. So we're excited to see those actually hit the market, you know, which will probably happen before eVTOL gets here.
0: But in the meantime, you're doing that. That's you, on you, and that's your burden. How do you get people to understand what the experience entails if 75% of your passengers have never ridden a helicopter before?
1: Well, it's a lot of marketing, Um, and so if you, you know, we're we're a big believer, uh, and and this has nothing to do with my age, but we do a lot of video, both digitally and also even on TV. We advertise on Bloomberg, we advertise on CNBC, we advertise all over the city uh, through MSOs, by zip code, and we show the end-to-end experience. We show this is what happens. Because it's still strange to people. It's Mm -hmm. like, okay, you go through a lounge, you check in, you get a helicopter, you land, and you go to you go to your airport. All that you got a car picking you up, you go to American, whatever it is. So it's it's intimidating to people, and I think that's been a very big challenge. I think explain to people that you can afford this, Mm -hmm. that uh, you uh, uh, that it's safe, that uh, it's easy to book. Uh, and, you know, look, I remember years ago, you'd go to a business lunch. I remember i going to Sony and going to a fancy restaurant, and I get out of the restaurant, and this guy had a, a Lincoln Town car pull up with a driver. Oh, my God, he's so fancy. And now everybody's got, like, you know, an SUV or whatever, like with Uber. I mean, like, just blew it out of the water, right? And so that's the same kind of thing that's happening with helicopters. Now, I mean, it's going to be, it just is going to be another mode of transportation, you know. The bottom line is, you guys will be flying in the air inside the city. Maybe not today, probably in a couple of years. Um, you know, maybe it, it's up to you. But I think that you know, we're gonna we're gonna keep getting that price down, and we're gonna fly to more and more places. And once we get to quieter technology. Mm-hmm. The number of places we can land goes up, and then the you know, or total addressable market goes up exponentially. But we have to start today. You can't wait for this new technology to come.
0: So you mentioned how, um, like Uber, you're asset light. Yeah. Um, Maybe not so much a platform because you have specific operators that you work with. Talk to us a little bit about these operators because their business probably blew up when you started working with them. is asset light a permanent condition? Is that something that could evolve or could change at some point?
1: It's a, it's a really good question. I think, you know, the way we look at it is that we want to be more deeply integrated and control that experience as much as we can, mm-hmm. which is much easier job than Uber has, kind of dealing with contract drivers uh, who we're, it's, you know, it's a side gig. You know what I mean? Like none of the pilots that work for Any of our companies, as you imagine, these are not side. You need thousands of hours. You either in the military or you, you know,
0: it's not easy. It's not
1: easy becoming a helicopter pilot. Yes, they're recreational pilots, but there are no recreational pilots that work for operators. I mean, it's a full-time job. Um, So um, I think what's interesting about it is to be a blade operator, you have got to pass for safety. You have to have the right amount of assurance, the right amount of equipment. Your equipment has to be new. Um, And then you have to use our operator dashboard, which means that from our app, as people buy seats, their weight, their names for the manifest, which is important, shows up on screens and they know how to fuel. Mm -hmm. And also we can flip seats, so all of a sudden if a helicopter only takes 1100 pounds and five people book on that helicopter and it's already at 900, there's a chance that someone over 200 pounds is going to be that helicopter, so we'll fold that six seat digitally. It'll happen automatically, gotcha. as opposed to someone going to heliport and it's like, okay, well, no one can bring bags. That's the scariest thing you can tell somebody. <laughs> you know, we're a little bit overweight. Don't worry, <laughs> we'll get your bags there. And we don't do, we're not in that business. So the technology has to do that, and we can have over 100 flights in a day. So all those operators needed that they never had that digital platform. Mm-hmm and we have in cockpit dashboard so they can see the weight know how to fuel the pilots need to know if you cuz also the manifest usually the way it used to work a guy would book a flight he would call up uh, you know the operator they'd fax if you guys remember what a fax was fax their credit card information and if you added a passenger everything got out of whack because of center of gravity and weight and fueling we can now while the helicopter is coming from base People could be booking on the app, and that manifest changes dynamically. So when that pilot lands, he knows exactly how much fuel to take on. He knows exactly, you know, what's going to happen. And then we built an accounting dashboard. We said, we're paying you in five days. We're going to actually send you an invoice saying, this is what we flew, you flew for us, and here's your money. You got ten days to dispute it. So then if you think about it, we we're customer-facing brands. Our helicopters say blade on them, and people believe they're flying blade, and we are. You are flying the operator that we've anointed, but if you have a bad experience, you call us. If you are using a stolen credit card, we're eating it. Uh, If there's weather and you want to yell at someone, you're yelling at us. If there's a mechanical, you're yelling at us. And all of a sudden, so they needed less customer service. They didn't need to market. They they had less of accounting teams because we were paying in five days. So we became, in the beginning first, this really kind of intimidating, factor,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: like what is Blade doing and mm-hmm. why don't we all get together and do Almost an a app. a wild card. You know what I mean? Like all these operators are like, why don't we just build an app? What is Blade? That kind right. of thing. Which is the same thing and happened in the music business. I remember being in the music business and we were we all we got all the music companies together and we're going to build this thing called Press Play and we're going to have digital music and uh, that didn't happen. Uh, it took someone from the outside the industry to come it's rarely the incumbents who create these platforms right so netflix has a larger market cap than all the movie studios combined right apple was the one that aggregated music it's too competitive you can't get people in the same industry together rarely the, the closest that i've seen is probably hulu because that was started by you know the media companies right. but the streets are littered with industries that try to come together and build these kind of common platforms so i think eventually what happened was like you know what this is not a bad business these are good guys they want us to make money they're not squeezing us um and so so far i think the relationship's pretty good with the operators
0: it's the outsider who came up with the idea and hey it works um we talked about blade in new york 195 from manhattan to jfk It also works in other cities. Um, You talked about going up to Vermont for Camp Day. There's also trips to Nantucket, Martha's Vineyard, uh, L.A., San Francisco, Miami. How does Blade work there versus in New York? What what are some of the variables?
1: So um, I think we have 11 lounges in seven states now, I believe. The, um, you know, Nantucket, just another leisure market, Mm -hmm. and I think that Our focus is more and more on shorter and shorter distances. Wait, let me interrupt
0: you for a second. How far can you go in a helicopter? I mean, can you go, you know, to Uh, the Midwest?
1: No, you can probably go, depending on the helicopter, call it 200, 300 miles. But generally, we don't like to put people in helicopters. Small helicopters over 100 miles, maybe a large helicopter 200, 250. And in time, generally, we don't like people in a helicopter over an hour. Just a little bit smaller, you know, time to move around. Obviously, there's not a bathroom. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is short-distance aviation. You know, we view our market as under 400 miles when we started. And now our focus is definitely moving towards under 30 miles. Got it. But to your question, so San Francisco right now, Palo Alto is a hub. We're flying between Palo Alto, Oakland, Palo Alto, Monterey, Napa... San Francisco Airport. Um, and uh, uh, that is just started, that seems to be going pretty well. Obviously the mother load is downtown San Francisco, there's no place to land there yet, but we'll be much, hard how to do. How much space
0: ahead. do you need to land?
1: It's not a question of space. I believe me, there's plenty of space to land, it's really about regulatory. Okay. Um, San Francisco is not the most
0: uh, helicopter
1: friendly City. In fact, it's the only city that I've ever heard of that actually had a website to petition to get rid of a helipad at a hospital. Okay, so because of the noise. So I'm like, oh my god, like this is, we're gonna go to San Francisco. <laughs> this sounds what a great idea. Um, Los Angeles um, is. We have the very first rooftop lounge. Uh, in America for a a heliport uh, in downtown Los Angeles and many of you guys know there's a huge resurgence in downtown Los Angeles now. Uh, It was kind of this corporate wasteland for a while Mm -hmm. and uh, now it's like great hotels, lots of cool companies restaurants. I mean it's really incredible what's happened there. And so we have a rooftop lounge that's across from the Staples Center. So we now have people that go from Santa Monica or even LAX. They'll go to uh, a Lakers games, show, right. they'll go to the Grammys um, and so uh, definitely Santa Monica we also uh, have a pad in Malibu that we we use so and again what's the motherhood for this there? we got to have West Hollywood, Century City or Beverly <coughs> Hills. We don't have any of that yet but we will and so you know relighting existing helipads is a big part of what we're focused on and then preparing for infrastructure for uh, eVTOL also there I and we talked about it earlier one of our largest investors is Colony Capital a real estate company it's because how important that infrastructure is to our business today mm-hmm. and our business going forward.
0: We'll get to that shortly but as you talk about your presence in other American cities you also are planning to launch in India uh, later this year so why India as your first market there are a lot of places you could operate in um, if you're looking at short distance why India?
1: Well, there there are a couple of reasons. Um, you know, I was I was on the team that said, "How about south of France?" <laughs> 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 um, the uh, the congestion is, is, is as you can imagine is incredible. There's a brand new there's a huge consumer class that's emerged, but it really was about our local partner there. Our local partner uh, has uh, uh, the largest one of the largest uh, television networks there with over 55 million subscribers. Uh, that we're going to be leveraging, the largest uh, high-end travel agency in all of India, and very good, strong government relations, and they also Uh. funded the majority of the venture. Uh, So having a great local partner is always paramount to us. But also, we're flying between, for those of you who know Mumbai, we're flying between Mahalakshmi and Pune, which is a six-hour drive or a 30-minute flight. So... When we look at ratios of drive time to flight time, I mean, even, you know, Kennedy, Kennedy's probably the the five minutes to Kennedy versus two hours from the west side. That's the only thing that beats it. Uh, That's an incredible opportunity. And I think the Indian government knows that billions and billions of dollars have been wasted because of the inefficiency of the infrastructure in Mumbai and Delhi. Uh, as a you know a business person coming from another country, you can basically go to one city a day. Mm-hmm. You can do one meeting a day or two meetings. We can change that. Um, and in terms of you know the economic viability, you know an interesting statistic is you know that um, there were more range Rovers sold in Delhi last year than in Manhattan. Now that doesn't sound maybe that impressive because obviously Delhi is pretty big. But a Range Rover in Delhi costs three hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars. Base price. Yeah, base price. Um, so we know that there's a segment of the population that can afford it. And again, the goal is, like we did in New York, get that, get that upper echelon there, and drive that price down. Get the volume, build the so awareness. So that is
0: not just a one percent product can't,
1: or service. It can't be. It, it just, if we we're going to scale. And if you what our mission is, which is getting, you know, it can't be a product for the rich, and it shouldn't be a product only for the rich. It had, you know, we're in this world of what we call multimodality right now, and all you guys are part of it. And there's no question in my mind that you guys, there're going to be people who are getting bikes on street corners, and scooters, and cars, and helicopters, and eVTOL. It doesn't make any sense. That you were constricted to one type of tra- trains, whatever it is, one type of transportation, uh, and you actually see that. The first time I saw it was, you know, with with Blade, you know, people who would own helicopters, but they didn't have all their executives with them, and they fly alone, buying a seat, and sometimes they would take a bus or a train or a car. Like we see, it, it used to be people were very segmented, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that way anymore. It's been very, you know, people are taking whatever. The right equipment is for the mission. Um, And so we're big believers in that. And I think if you really want to participate in that universe, you better get the price down.
0: How do you think about Blade's expansion and choosing new markets, whether it's uh, someplace in India, versus balancing that against developing deeper integrations in your existing markets? I mean, you mentioned San Francisco or the Bay Area, more specifically, um, and how San Francisco would be something that, like, one day you could delve into more, wouldn't it make more sense to figure that out rather than expand
1: out? 100%. I mean, n- Mumbai is was an opportunistic uh, situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will never show an investor a map of, like, here's the world and Blade is in every city. This We want to be an inch wide and a mile deep. We I believe there is probably $400 million worth of short-distance aviation revenues or urban you know urban air mobility revenues to be had in New York City. Blade had revenues last year of twenty five. So I see a lot of growth in New York right now. But how many this
0: helicopters is, can you have in the sky at once?
1: It doesn't require that many, believe it or not, even at one ninety five. I mean I think you know I think that's your you know, talking about some of these large companies, you know, we don't have ten billion dollars of revenue. So for us to go from 25 million to 400, that's that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of room to scale. Um, and again, I think that this will be a solution. A lot of people say, oh, well, we're, here, we're out, you know, blades out to solve the congestion problem. No, we're not. <laughs> we're not going to solve the congestion. That much I can promise you. But we are going to provide an option. And we are going to provide, there will be times that you decide, this is the way I want to go to the airport, or this is why I want to go somewhere. It's going to be a choice. And... You're going to have to humor me. I, to, I said to you I would do this right now. It's 6.49 right now. And what we're going to do is take a look at the Uber app, and we're going to see <laughs> how much it costs to go from the west side, go right around west side, right around Hudson Yards. Do you ever take Uber, by the way? All the time. <laughs> all, I'm just, okay. like, just like any of you. Okay. Let's see. Um, perfect. Um, west side to JFK. Right Before you now, even
0: look at it, what do you think it's going to show you?
1: I think it's going to be probably about 200 bucks. We're about 195. I hope it, I hope it's more than 195. That's <laughs> what I'm, gonna, otherwise, it's, if it's close, I think it'll be okay. Let's <laughs> see. Um, let's see. Okay, so put that in JFK. All right. And uh, it's $236 right now. Is that X or? No, SUV. Okay. So, we've broken the barrier of an Uber SUV. And let's take a look at Uber. It's $163 for Uber Black. So that means for $32 more, you could be there in five minutes. Instead of, I'm looking right now, that's two hours uh, from the west side. So that to us is really special. And I think there's a lot of room to scale with that. Mm -hmm. And so, I believe right now, I mean, that product is on the Uber app for a reason. There are people taking it. Uh, and also, I think from an interesting, was one of the reasons we picked Bell as a partner, you actually release less emissions in a Bell Long Ranger 206 to the airport in five minutes than you do if you take an SUV alone uh, to the airport. And it's also the quietest helicopter that's made in the industry today. So, you know, most people think, oh, my God, helicopters are polluting. The bottom line is they actually burn 30 gallons of clean jet fuel an hour. And you're talking about a five-minute flight. So, um, and, you know, obviously, you know, our long-term goal is to be carbon neutral, which will happen with eVTOL, mm-hmm. but it's something, you know, being a, next to safety, being a good neighbor is our number one priority. So noise abatement routes in terms of, altitudes we fly routes we're flying over water as much as we can and using the right equipment for the mission uh, so you know quieter hel- uh, aircraft is important to us
0: when you say quieter though that's still a far cry from what people are comfortable with I mean in the Hamptons for instance they are trying to limit helicopter rides because people don't want to be hearing the choppers and the the blades at 9 p.m at 10 p.m.
1: yeah and I think well I think is a, it's a really good point. I mean, and so what do you do about that? You do a bunch of things. As I said, the right equipment for the mission. So you're not using larger helicopters when you don't need to, because mm-hmm. those are the ones. And right now, we're about the helicopter that we're flying right now is actually was deemed by uh, a municipality in the Hamptons as. Not noisy. And what I mean by that is they put, they. <laughs> Very I know that's strange. It's a technical term. It's a technical term. They actually came out with a list of what they considered noisy aircraft. And because this was 88 decibels, uh, it was not on that list. But what's interesting is not actually decibels. You know, a blender is twice as loud as a helicopter. There is the vibration and the frequency of a helicopter that just annoys the crap out of people. And so when you get to EVTOL, it actually. The noise, the level of dB is not going to be that different, but it will be less pleasant. It's so why it's interesting. You know, jets are really loud. I mm-hmm. mean, private jets are incredibly loud, but they don't annoy people that much. They don't. People don't have that same kind of reaction. We spend a lot of time studying noise, more than you even want to know. And what's interesting about a VTOL is that the noise from a helicopter is coming much more from the size of the rotor cutting through the the air than it is from the engine. I see. And with the VTOL, you're dealing with lots of little fans, and so they make less noise. So it's not so much that it's electric, and so we fly seaplanes. With a seaplane, you have a prop in front, and you're actually listening to the motor. So we've actually been experimenting, talking to manufacturers and Cessna about uh, using electric motors and seaplanes, which will also reduce noise. And this is this all—it's all, all going to happen. And so when is it going to sh- happen? That's a really good question. I think. Um, Quieter aircraft, conventional helicopters is happening all day long, right? They're they're getting quieter and quieter each Mm -hmm. year. EVTOL, you know, where you talk about Uber Elevate and things like that, which is electric vertical takeoff language, you know, sometimes people call them spaceships, flying taxis, tilt rotor, drones, whatever you want to call them. You know, I think that's kind of feels like five to ten years at this point. I think, you know, Uber's made pronouncements about 2020. Don't think it's gonna happen, 21, 22, 23. I think it's tough. I frankly think what happened with um, the Boeing 737 Max is gonna set things back. How so? Because the biggest, we have a VTOL today. The issue is certification. It took 10 years to certify the Honda VLJ, the light jet. It's a jet, it's a conventional aircraft. The Boeing seven thirty seven Max was certified it was a thirty-five year old aircraft that they upgraded. Right. And they supposedly again, I'm not an expert on this, I gotta be careful. But what we all read for true, they had a fast track and happened very quickly. So now let's take something that is never that uses propulsion and aerodynamics that has never been we've never used for, for civilian travel before and certify that by definition I think one would think that certification process is gonna be reviewed Mm -hmm. and next generation aircraft may have a higher hurdle than it did before then so I you know I think that's probably something that people are really considering
0: okay so as the technology improves and as you look for new solutions currently the price is 195 how low do you think you can get it
1: within five years 70 to 90 dollars $70
0: 70 to $90 one way from Manhattan to JFK.
1: Yeah, and I think that others have said $14 by 2020 in landing on every building in New York City. Uh, it's not happening. <laughs> uh, they're not going to be, I don't, you know, I don't think pilots are going to be learning by YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. I don't think we'll be landing on top of the Bloomberg building, but I do think that you're going to have this cohabitation phase where you're going to have conventional helicopters, and then you're going to see this really kind of strange thing next to it. <laughs> that will be an eVTOL and they're only gonna take four people and not a lot of bags and they're gonna to have to be recharged every four hours. Go back to the Tesla analogy, right? Mm-hmm. They're gonna be a pain in the ass. They're gonna be expensive.
0: But if Uber and, comes on and offers and, and is, wants to get in with Uber Elevate, I mean, won't there be some kind of price war where prices will go down and everyone will just take a loss for a while?
1: I mean, I think that there are a lot of companies right now that wanna build market share mm-hmm. by lowering prices. Uh, And uh, you know there are many companies, not only Uber, and that's a definite you know possibility. I mean we have to focus on what we do well. Uh, We have to focus on our own company. You know you can't look at the competition all day long. You got to focus on what you're doing. And uh, I think that you know right now what we see are a huge opportunity with conventional rotorcraft. We see eVTOL really much more in the future, and we're making a bet that urban air mobility is here today. We're not going to wait for it. And we're going to work with the technology we have, get the prices down as much as we can, keep it as safe and reliable as we can, and then transition people over time to next generation when it's available.
0: In the meantime, you kind of trademark your experience too, so people know exactly what to expect when they walk into a lounge. All right, let's open it up to questions from the audience. Rob, um, we've got a microphone, and this gentleman in the front row raised his hand right away. So let's have him ask the first question.
1: Awesome. Hi hey, Rob. Hey. Uh, my name's Asher. I was an MBA graduate from Cornell Tech in 2016. Oh. Um, I also I tried the crowdsourcing travel with busing. did not go nearly as well. <laughs> um, so one of the things you talked about as a bottleneck towards growth or towards everyone here being a part of the ecosystem is the e- e- vital, if I'm pronouncing that right, and um, kind of the technology. Um, but I'd love to hear more about how you're working with cities or real estate developers to create the infrastructure needed to support a lot of that. Um, You said that it's not uh, servicing the New York City market won't take that many aircrafts, but it'll take more, and it'll take more landing pads. Uh, So it'd be cool to hear a little bit about that, and also how you're working with governments to do that. Sure. Great question. Great question. Um, Well, uh, let's use Los Angeles for an example here. Um, If you look at the Los Angeles cityscape, you'll notice that all the buildings are flat on top, and that's because they all have helipads. Um, some of those were meant for fire and medical emergencies, and some of them were actually certified for flying. And then over time, because of noise or potentially you know, accidents that happen over the years, people let their certification lapse. So we have really two distinct kind of verticals that we look at when it comes to infrastructure. One is relighting existing pads, which is a faster process, and the other one is kind of tall infrastructure and so we have a, uh, a relationship uh, working group with Vernado that actually is a developer of this fine building here um, where we're saying like okay well if you're planning now a building that's not going to be built for five to ten years you need to start thinking about a VTOL, right and how are you going to accommodate <laughs> mm-hmm. this next generation type of aircraft so we have a small team in place at Blade and they think about things like, okay, how many amps do we need on the roof? And is there a line of sight in terms of, you know, for, um, you know, for, a, you know, a flight pattern? Are there buildings that are, you know, superseding it on each side where, a hel- you know, an aircraft is going to have to kind of drop down? Do you have a private elevator that's secure that people from the outside can get to straight to the roof? Where are we processing people for security? So all these different things. And... It's resonating with real estate developers, and I think that what you don't want to be is that guy that you know built this building, and it comes online at in 2030 or 2028, and a VTOL's thing, and the guy across the street... Has it. And you don't. Yeah. So that's why Colony Capital's been so important to us. And I think they're... Uh, what we like to say they're... We call them skyports. I would say within the next couple of years, they're buildings that will go up that have hidden sky ports. And what I mean by that is they're, they've arranged for space that are being used for other purposes that one day they're gonna knock down walls and they have the wiring and they have everything needed and they're gonna turn into landing zones ah. uh, because they can't, you, it's not something that you can retrofit later in time. But these buildings could go up ahead of time and you need some kind of use for it before then.
0: So flexible space essentially.
1: Yeah, as much as you can.
0: What about working with local governments?
1: In terms of, you know, I think a lot of what we do with local governments is, right now, is dealing with the issues that you raised. Mm-hmm. when is it um, explaining to people about that uh, this is a viable, cost-effective uh, matter of travel, that be, t- uh, taking, uh, dealing with the noise issue. We didn't talk about voluntary uh, curfews, but, you know, we don't do scheduled service at 10 o'clock at night to places. We could, but we don't. Uh, we don't. We're not flying at six in the morning with scheduled, you know, with flights that are scheduled. Um, the kind of aircraft, it, really education, because um, you know, from a political perspective, with governments, you know, if you're running for office, you know. Stopping noise is a pretty easy thing to get voters behind. Like, you know, you're not really segregating anybody who says, no, no, we want noise. You know, like that's, it's just, so it's a really easy thing to go after, and we have to kind of separate you know, back from fiction mm-hmm. and also to let people know there is a light at the end of this tunnel. Let us build this infrastructure. Let us fly people. Let us be smart and good neighbors, and let this transition happen. Okay, and because there it's not gonna be this way forever.
0: Uh, I like what you bring up though, that you have to convince politicians because I think of the whole effort to bring Amazon into New York City and they were going to build a building, right, in Queens and there was going to be a helipad. I mean, this is this was a big talking point among opponents of Amazon coming to New York. There's going to be a helipad where Jeff Bezos would be able to come out and go right downstairs to his office. I mean that's something that you have to tell politicians, you know yeah. what, stand firm on that.
1: It's uh, showing that, you know, and I, why, why did I go and show you on this Uber app? Because most of you guys probably didn't believe that this would be cheaper. You know, and excuse my language, taking the douche factor out of, hel- out of helicopters is <laughs> one of my number one priorities. And it is a struggle <laughs> because there just isn't a lot of sympathy for this industry, mm-hmm. um, and that's why you know we're not called a helicopter company; we're an urban air mobility company because we really do view this is you know this is a choice. You're flying by air, uh, and because it ha- it does have that stigma, and um, there's no question in my mind. And listen, Jeff Bezos, goes, you know we don't we know about uh, Blue Origin and what he does in space and everything. It's very myopic to think that that helipad was all about um, Jeff's Jeff coming in from his private Jeff in Peterborough. There's not even a question in my mind that he's thinking longer term and saying, I'm going to have a way to have next generation aircraft land mm. at Amazon. But that narrative obviously got lost.
0: As it often does. All right. Let's open it up to further questions right over here. Hello, uh, my name is Kathleen Gowder, CSM for Hire. Um, see me after. Uh, thank you so much. I was definitely enraptured by what you're saying. Like this is a whole world I didn't even know about. Um, and congrats on all the success that you've had as well. Um, I would love to kind of switch gears a little bit, and uh, especially because I've recently been uh, wrongfully terminated from my job, so I've been thinking a lot about the challenges that people face in their careers. So if you could please talk to about a time that was maybe a really big challenge for you and how you got over it.
1: Sure. Um, well, I think what I would say is that, you know, when I worked for Sony, there were 165,000 employees. When I worked for Warner's, there was 6,000 employees. I think First Boston had somewhere in the high thousands. and Right now, Blade is, you know, in terms of full-time, about 25 people. And, what, and what, I wanted, what I wanted to do was I wanted to take all the good things from a big company and bring them over and try to leave some of the bad things behind. And I think, it, you know, big companies were very challenge, challenging for me. Um, and I felt that I was always put in a lane. Mm-hmm. And I think at big companies, you're a numbers guy, you're not creative, you're a creative guy... You don't produce. You don't know numbers. You know, I remember going to marketing meetings for films at Columbia Pictures, and people are like, well, "Why is?" This? I was a CFO. Like, "Why is a CFO like?" You know, what are you doing here? And I'm like, "You know, I have a view. Um, you know, I've, you know, I've, you know." I've, since I've been at Blade, I've produced 17 TV, people say, what's it like leaving the entertainment industry? I mean, I've produced 17 TV commercials, I buy music for our commercials, you know, I think a great product is something that tells a story, a great song tells a story, a great movie tells a story, that's what we started with Blade, we tell a story and try to create an emotional connection with our flyers. And I think that it was a very big challenge for me to, to tolerate people putting me in a lane in a big company. And I think that is something that uh, is an issue. And I think at Blade, what we try to do is like, we want you to try new muscles. You think you have a marketing muscle? Go for it, mm-hmm. try it. And if you're bad at it, we'll tell you, and you'll go back to your day job, okay? <laughs> but you know, we're gonna let you try, and we kind of a motto saying like, look, we're gonna give you the car, you can dent it, you can scratch it, but just don't crash it, <laughs> okay? So, you know, whether it's like a new product and things like that, you know, as long as it doesn't impact, you know, <laughs> safety of our passengers or reputation, um, you know, our fiscal viability. We want people to try and they are gonna be products that work and products that don't. And we want people to not be put in lanes mm-hmm. because I think it's just too easy for these big companies you know, it's it's easy for these big companies to do it. You know, you have a job, you're a finance guy, you in the finance and you stay there. Like why would you take a bet mm-hmm. on someone in finance to do marketing? It just doesn't happen. So that was a very big challenge for me and it's ultimately Probably <laughs> you know why one of the big reasons why I decided um, that I was going to try to do something on my own because I felt that I had these muscles that were much more creative than financial and uh, and that's what I wanted to explore. So those were that's my answer to you. That, was, that it was tough.
0: And one last question um, right here in the back. Thank you. Hi. Hi. Uh, hey. So I work on PR for some of the coolest startups in the city. Uh, so I have a buzzword question. <laughs> um, do you use any machine learning or AI technologies right away when you mentioned sort of optimizing the route based on the weights as they come in? Machine learning was the first thing that came to my mind.
1: Well, I tell you what we do a lot of, you know, which is a bit of machine learning. I don't want to go. I don't want to make it like you know, we're kind of we're not coming up with a cure for rare disease at Blade, all right? Um, Geo has been very, very powerful for us. So most of our users allow us on an opt-in basis to know where they are. So we can tell when people are, if they're packing at home or they're packing at the office in terms of where they're coming from before they go to heliport. So load balancing the east side heliport versus the west side heliport versus Wall Street, seeing where people are at different times, when they're commuting, all those different things Definitely, from a digital perspective, are going into an alchemy digitally to come up with signals for us to decide where we're launching flights, how many flights, you know, how to op- you know, optimize our schedule and such and such. It isn't. I would say the signals are automated, and they give us these proposals. But ultimately, it's a human that's making the decision of what to add. So, you know, it. We're going to get to the point where maybe it's automated. It's not automated for us now, but definitely the aggregation of all that information is, I would put it in the machine learning category for sure.
0: All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Rob, great conversation. Thanks for listening and be sure to follow Tech at Bloomberg on Twitter, like Cornell Tech at Bloomberg on Facebook, or visit the Cornell Tech at Bloomberg podcast homepage to sign up for invites to future events in this series. You can also watch any of the interviews from this event series on Inside Bloomberg on YouTube.